Section 9 of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume 1 continued. September the 4th. My mother, I find, has made Lady Grimston her confidante in relation to my affairs. The dear woman never keeps her mind to herself on any subject. Lady Grimston highly applauds her conduct in that business, and bestowed a few civil words on me for my filial duty, intermixed with an ungrateful comparison of her own daughter's behaviour. And she condoled with herself by saying that good parents had not always good children. She told my mother that she wished to see the child, meaning me, happily disposed of, for that, notwithstanding the prudence of my behaviour, the world would be apt to cast reflections on me, on account of the abruptness with which the match was broken off, without the true reasons being known. And my illness, she said, might be imputed to the disappointment, which might incline people to suspect the rejection had been on Mr. Falkland's side. What a provoking hint was this, my dear! It has really alarmed my mother who depends much on the judgment of her friend, and has at the same time so nice a regard to the honour of her family. I wish that formal old woman would mind her own business. September the 6th. My mother and Lady Grimston have had abundance of private confabulation these two days, from which Mrs. Vere and I are excluded. I wish there may not be some mischief a-brewing, one thing, however, has given me pleasure. Lady Grimston has invited her daughter to stay at Grimston Hall as long as my mother and I continue here. Mrs. Vere tells me she suspects the subject of their conferences, but she is perverse and will not tell me what she thinks, for fear, as she says, she should have guessed wrong and her surmises would only tease me. September the 10th a packet sent from London, a letter from Sir George, one from my Cecilia, and so soon, too. Welcome, welcome, thou faithful messenger from the faithfulest of hearts. Thou dear, anticipating little prophetess, what put it into thy head to call Mr. Arnold a new conquest, upon my but barely mentioning him to you? I was just going to tell you all, and behold, your own whimsical imagination has suggested the most material part to you already. You desire me to be sincere. Was that necessary, my sister, for you to me? You say you are sure Mr. Arnold is, or will be, my lover, and insist on my being more particular in my description of him. What a strange girl you are! Again I ask you, what put this into your head? What busy little spirit of intelligence flew to you with this news before I knew it myself? For as to the fact, it is but too certain. This has been the subject of my mother's and Lady Grimston's private conferences, and Mrs. Vere, sly thing as she is, guessed it. It seems Mr. Arnold disclosed his passion to Lady Grimston in order to ask her advice about it. She loves mightily to be consulted, and ill-starred as I am, did me the honour to recommend me strongly to him. And she has prepossessed my mother, too, in favour of this new man. I wish the meddling old dame had been dumb. Now shall I go through another fiery trial? Heaven help me, if Lady Grimston were to be my judge. 
but my mother is all goodness. Well, but you want a description of this man. I will give it to you, though I have scarce patience to write about him. Indeed, Cecilia, I am vexed. I foresee a great deal of trouble from that quarter, but come, I will try what I can say. The man is about thirty, genteel, and handsome enough. At least he is reckoned so, and I believe I should think him so if I were not angry with him. He is very like your brother, Henry, and you know he is an allowed handsome man. He seems to have plain good sense, and is good-humoured, I believe. I do not know of what colour his eyes are, for I never looked much at him. Lady Grimston says he is a scholar, a thing she pretends to value highly, and a mighty sober, pious, worthy gentleman. He is of a very good family, and has an estate of about fifteen hundred pounds a year, upon which there is a jointure of three hundred pounds a year, paid to his brother's widow. Part of the estate is in Kent, and part in this county of Essex, where he has a mansion-house, a well-enough-looking old-fashioned place, something in the Grimston Hall style, at about a mile distance from this, where he passes most of his time. I have told you already he plays divinely on several instruments. This is the only circumstance about him that pleases me. He has not yet made his addresses to me in form, yet we all know that he intends it, from his uncommon assiduity towards me. But he has a sort of reserve about him, and loves to do everything in his own way. Bless me, here he is. His chariot has just driven into the court, and Mrs. Vere peeps in upon me, and with a most vexatious archness bids me to come down to the parlour. But I will not, unless my mother desires me. I will go into the garden to be for a while out of the way. September the 11th. Yesterday evening was productive of nothing but looks and compliments and bows and so forth, except two or three delightful pieces of music, which he executed incomparably. But this morning, my Cecilia, oh, this morning, the man spoke out told me in downright plain English that he loved me. How insipid is such a declaration when it comes from one who is indifferent to us! I do not know how it was, but instead of being abashed, I could have smiled in his face when he declared himself, but you may be sure I did not. That would not have been pretty. I was sitting in the little drawing-room reading when he came in, to be sure he was sent to me by the ancient ladies, otherwise he would not have intruded, for the man is not ill-bred. The book happened to be Horace. Upon his entering the room I laid it by. He asked me, politely enough, what were my studies. When I named the author he took the book up, and opening the leaves, started, and looked me full in the face. I coloured. My charming Miss Bidolph, said he, do you prefer this to the agreeable entertainment of finishing this beautiful rose here that seems to blush at your neglect of it? He spoke this, pointing to a little piece of embroidery that lay in a frame before me. I was nettled at the question. It was too assuming. Sir, I hope I was as innocently and as usefully employed, and I assure you, I give a greater portion of my time to my needle than to my book. 
"'You are so lovely, madam, that nothing you can do needs an apology.' "'An apology, I assure you. "'Did not this look, my dear, as if the man thought I ought to beg his pardon for understanding Latin? "'For this accidental, and I think to a woman trivial accomplishment, "'I am indebted, as you know, to Sir George, who took so much pains with me "'the two or three summers he was indisposed at Sydney Castle.' He then proceeded to tell me how much he admired, how much he loved me, and that having been encouraged by Lady Grimston's assuring him that I was disengaged, observe that, he presumed to tell me so. Oh, thought I, perhaps thou art thyself a Grimstonian, and do not think it necessary that the heart should be consulted. I answered him mightily civilly, and mighty little to the purpose. "'Sir, I thank you for your favourable sentiments. "'Lady Grimston does me a great deal of honour. "'I think myself happy in her good opinion.' "'But he was not to be put off. "'He pressed me to give him hopes, as he called it. "'Alas, I have no hopes to give him. "'He said he would not presume to mention his love to my mother, "'though Lady Grimston pressed him to it. "'It was like her.' till he had first declared himself to me. This was not indelicate. My heart thanked him for it, though I only returned him a bow. We were seasonably, to me at least, interrupted here by the arrival of my friend the Dean. He had come to see Lady Grimston just as Mr. Arnold had entered into conversation with me. The old gentleman had a mind to walk in the garden. The little drawing-room where we were opened into it by a glass door, so that Lady Grimston and my mother were obliged to bring him that way. Though I was glad that the conversation was broke off, yet I could have wished that I had first had an opportunity of throwing a little cold water on Mr. Arnold's hopes, lest he should have put too favourable an interpretation on the reception I gave him, and mentioned the thing to my mother before I had time to speak to her. I was in some confusion at their entering the room. Mr. Arnold had at that moment laid hold of one of my hands, and I had but just time to withdraw it when the door flew open to give entrance to the two ladies and the good man. The latter, lifting up both his hands as if conscious of having done something wrong, with a good-humoured freedom, asked pardon, but with a look that seemed to indicate he thought the apology necessary both to Mr. Arnold and me. This disconcerted me more. My mother smiled, and Lady Grimston drew up her long neck and winked at the dean. I took up my hat, which lay in a window, without well knowing what I did, and said I would wait on them into the garden. Mr. Arnold followed my example, but looked at me, I do not know how, impertinently, as if he thought I did not dislike him. I took one turn with them, and then slipped away, under pretense of going in to dress. I ran directly into Mrs. Vere's room, and told her what had passed between Mr. Arnold and me. She laughed, and said she could have told me long ago it would have come to that. I knew Mr. Arnold admired you, said she, the first time I saw you in his company. He is no contemptible conquest, I can tell you. He assured my mother that you were the only woman he ever saw in his life that had made an impression on him, 
and I am inclined to believe him, for he is not a man of an amorous complexion, nor did I ever hear of him making his addresses to any one, though he might have his choice of the best fortunes and the best families in the county. For the ladies, I must inform you, admire him exceedingly, and when you are known to be his choice, you will be the envy of all the young women in the county. I sighed, I don't know why, and said, I desired not to create envy on that account. Mrs. Vere said, Why, really, Miss Biddulph, if your heart is at liberty, I know of no man more worthy of it than Mr. Arnold. But perhaps, looking with a kind earnestness on me, that may not be your case. I told her my heart was not engaged, as it really is not for indeed, Cecilia, I do not think of Mr. Falkland, but that I did not find in myself any great inclination towards Mr. Arnold. Oh, my dear, said she, if you find no disinclination, it is enough. I married for love, yet I was far from being happy. The vexation that I occasioned in my own and my husband's family was a counterbalance to the satisfaction of possessing the man I loved. Mr. Arnold, besides being very amiable in his person, has good sense and good temper. And if you marry him with nothing more than indifference, gratitude will soon produce love in such a breast as yours. Were there anything like aversion in your heart, then indeed it would be criminal in you to accept of him. Mrs. Vere delivered her sentiments with such a calm sweetness, such a disinterested sincerity, that what she said made an impression on me. We are apt, contrary as it may seem to reason, to be more wrought upon by the opinion and advice of young people like ourselves than by that of persons whose experience certainly gives them a better right to form judgments. But we have a sort of natural repugnance to the being dictated to, even by those who have an authority to do it. And as age gives a superiority, everything that comes from it carries a sort of air of prescribing, which we are wonderfully inclined to reject. Had Lady Grimston said this to me, it would have put me upon my guard, as suspecting a design on my liberty of choice. Even my good mother might have been listened to on this subject not without uneasiness, though my duty to her would not suffer me to give her a moment's pain, unless I was sure that my eternal as well as temporal happiness was at stake. I told Mrs. Vere that I had no aversion to Mr. Arnold, on the contrary that if I had a sister I should wish her married to him. Now, my Cecilia, the mischief of it is, there can be no reasonable objection made to him. He is a very tolerable man. But I knew a man once that I liked better. But fie, fie upon him. I am sure I ought not to like him, and therefore I will not. I am positive. If I were let alone, I should be as happy as ever. I told you I got a letter from my brother. He says in it he has had one from Mr. Falkland, who is now in your part of the world. He tells Sir George that if my Lady Biddulph would be so good as to see Miss B, and converse with her, he is not without hopes that she may so far exculpate him as to induce my lady to repeal his sentence of banishment. Sir George adds his own wishes for this, but says, to give you his words, 
He fears the wench will not be honest enough to do Falkland justice. Justice? What can my brother mean by this? How ungenerous these men are, even the best of them, in love matters. He knows the poor girl dotes on her destroyer, and might perhaps take shame to herself, rather than throw as much blame on him as he deserves. I think this is all the justice that can be expected from her, and how poor an attenuation would this make of his guilt? It would only add to the merit of her sufferings without lessening his fault. To what purpose, then, would it be? I know my mother's sentiments already on that head. I would not show Sir George's letter to her. He had said so many ridiculous things about Lady Grimston in it, which I know would have offended her highly. Otherwise, on account of Mr. Falkland's paragraph, I should have been glad she had seen it. September the 12th Ah, my sister, my friend, what shall I do? Oh, that officious Lady Grimston! What ill star drove me to her house? Nothing would serve her, but she must know what Mr. Arnold said to me in the drawing-room conference, and how I had behaved. She made her inquiry before my mother and the dean, after I'd left them in the garden. What could the man do? He had no reason to conceal what had passed, and frankly owned he had made me an offer of his heart. "'Well, and how did Miss receive it?' asked Lady Grimston. "'With that modesty and polite sweetness that she does everything,' answered Mr. Arnold. "'He could say no less, you know.' He thence took occasion to apply particularly to my mother, apologising at the same time for his not having done it before. What the self-sufficient creature added I know not, for my mother, from whom I had this account, did not repeat all he said, but it seems it was enough to make her imagine I had not heard him reluctantly, and accordingly she gave him her permission to win me and wed me. I could cry for very vexation to be made such a puppet of. This occurrisment I dreaded before I had time to explain myself to my mother. The best of women, still anticipating what I had to say, congratulated me on my extraordinary prudence in not letting a childish misplaced attachment keep such a hold on my heart as to make me blind to the merits of a more deserving object. Dear madam, said I, sure Mr. Arnold did not say that I had encouraged his addresses. Encouraged, my dear? Why, sure, the hearing from a young lady of your education is encouragement enough to a man of sense. I heard him with complacence, madam, because I thought that due to him. But I had not time to tell him that it was my wish to remain single, at least for some time. My mother looked surprised. Sidney, this is not what I expected from you. I flattered myself you thought no longer of Mr. Falkland. She contracted her brow a little. Madam, I do not. Indeed, I think no more of him. But may I not be permitted to continue as I am? Had you never had an engagement with Mr. Falkland, answered my mother, I should be far from urging you on this occasion. But circumstance as you now are, I think your honour is concerned. 
"'Lady Grimston has put your affair in such a light to me "'as I never considered it in before. "'How mortifying must the reflection be, my dear, to think "'that it may be said Mr. Falkland perhaps flew off "'from some disadvantageous circumstance he discovered in regard to you. "'The world wants not envious malicious tongues enough to give it this turn.' your unlucky illness and your brother's ill-timed assiduity in going so often to him when he was at Richmond looks as if we had been endeavouring to recall him. Everybody knows the marriage was almost concluded, and Lady Grimston, though she thinks our reasons for breaking it off were extremely cogent, yet, as she knows the world well, thinks it has not virtue enough to believe those to be the true reasons, and that it would be much more apt to put an invidious construction on the affair that may be very detrimental to you in your future prospects. These considerations alone ought to determine you, but there is one still of greater moment which I hope from the goodness of your heart will have still greater weight with you. That unfortunate young lady, who ought to be the wife of Mr. Falkland, if you were once put beyond the reach, even of his most distant hope, would stand the better chance for having justice done to her. At least it would leave him void of that pretence which he at first pleaded, and which probably he will continue to do while you remain single. Think seriously of the matter, my love. I shall only add that Mr. Arnold is every way an unexceptionable match, and that your acceptance of him will be extremely agreeable to me, as, on the contrary, your refusal will give an uneasiness to your indulgent mother, which she never yet experienced from you. She left me with these cruel words, cruel in their kindness, Oh, she knows I am flexible by nature, and to her will yielding as heir. What can I do? My heart is not in a disposition to love. Yet again and again, I repeat it, Mr. Falkland has no interest there. What he once had, he has lost. But I cannot compel it to like and unlike and like anew at pleasure. Fain would I bring myself cheerfully to conform to my mother's will, for I have no will of my own. I never knew what it was to have one, and never shall I believe, for I am sure I will not contend with a husband. I have told Mrs. Vere what my mother said to me, and she is entirely of her mind. Everybody is combined against me. I am treated like a baby that knows not what is fit for it to choose or to reject. September the 15th. I have been searching my heart, my dear Cecilia, to try if there remained a lurking particle of my former flame unextinguished. A flame, I call it, as we are allowed that metaphor, but it never rose to that. It was but a single ray, a gentle glow that just warmed my breast without scorching. What it might have arisen to, I will not say, but I have the satisfaction to find that the short-lived fire is quite extinct, and the mansion is even chilled with cold. This was a very necessary scrutiny before I would even entertain a thought of Mr. Arnold, 
and believe me, had I found it otherwise than I say, I would rather have hazarded my mother's displeasure by owning the truth to her, than injure any man by giving him my hand with an estranged heart. I will acknowledge to you, my sister, that it was not without a struggle I reduced my mind to this frame. My heart, foolish thing, industrious to perplex itself, would fain have suggested some palliating circumstances in Mr. Falkland's favour. But I forbid it to interpose. Trifler, said I, let your guardian, your proper guide, judge and determine for you in this important cause, whereon so much of your future peace depends. It sighed, but had the virtue to submit, and I arraigned Falkland before a little tribunal in my breast, where I would suffer reason only to preside. The little felon, love, knocked at the door once or twice, but justice kept him out, and after a long, and I think a fair, trial, he was at length cast out, and in order to strengthen my resolves and justify my mother's as well as my own conduct, these are the arguments which I have deduced from the evidences against him. If Mr. Falkland feared the frailty of his virtue, why did he not fly when he was first alarmed with the knowledge of the lady's passion for him? If not for his own sake, yet at least for hers. If he could not return her love, was he not cruel in suffering her to feed a hopeless flame? But since his evil fate urged him on, and the unhappy girl lost her honour, was he not bound to repair it? He had never seen me at that time, was under no personal engagement to me, and might easily have acquitted himself to my brother from so justifiable a motive. What if I had married him, ignorant of this secret, and it had afterwards come to my ears? How miserable would it have made me, and to think that I had stood between an unfortunate young creature and her happiness! For... Had Mr. Falkland never heard of me, had he not been prejudiced in my favour, this young woman's beauty and innocence, which he acknowledges, might have then engaged his honest vows. The wicked aunt would not have been tempted to betray her trust, nor he, shocking thought whenever it recurs, to buy that favour he might have obtained on virtuous terms. His prior engagements to my brother was the fatal plea that undid them both. Had he not been furnished with this excuse, her hopes might have supported her virtue. Or, if ignorant of this, she fell, what pretence could he offer after the injury was done, for not fulfilling an obligation of so much more importance? I could not have suffered by not obtaining a man I never saw. Miss B is undone by losing him. Yet his word to Sir George, the breach of which could have been attended with no ill consequence, was to be preferred to an act of justice. This is the false honour upon which the men pique themselves so much. An innocent child stigmatised, an amiable woman abandoned to shame and grief. I thank heaven I made not myself accessory to this. 
Had I married Mr. Falkland, knowing his fault, I could not say so, nor have blamed anything but my own imprudence, if I, in my turn, found myself deserted. Who knows but that he might, after having bound me in chains, return to his neglected mistress, and that love which, when it would have been meritorious to him, he disrelished, he might have pursued with eagerness when interdicted. This might have been the case. I believe you may remember an instance of it among our own acquaintance. Mr. Saunders, who refused a young lady for his bride from an absolute dislike of her person, took uncommon pains to debauch her when she became the wife of his friend. Had Mr. Falkland so behaved, what a wretch would it have made me? You know I have not a grain of jealousy in my composition, yet I am sure a neglect of this kind would have made me very miserable. You have not forgot, I believe, that about two years ago, there was a match proposed to my mother by the Bishop of B between me and his nephew. The young man was heir to a good fortune and was reckoned handsome and accomplished, and I think he really was so. I was entirely free from prepossessions in favour of any one, and had no objection to him, but that I knew he had a most lamentably vulnerable heart, for he had been in love with two or three women of my acquaintance. My mother mentioned him to me upon the good old prelate's recommendation, and I gave her this as my reason for disliking the offer, which she approved of so entirely that the thing went no farther. Indeed, I think that woman is a fool who risks her contentment with one of a light disposition. Marriage will not change men's natures, and it is not every one who has virtue or prudence enough to be reclaimed. Upon the whole, I am satisfied with my lot, and am sure I could hear with pleasure that Mr. Falkland was married to that Miss B. I wish I knew the other letters that compose her name. End of section 9